This tape concludes the series, Spiritual Warfare, ministered by Jim Durkin. I'm playing with Jim right now, asking him some questions which I hope will relate to some of the questions you may have felt after hearing this message. Jim, would you share somewhat more specifically to those perhaps who are not geographically close to this ministry, yet who sense a spiritual closeness after hearing this message? My vision was really enlarged by your example of one man winning one soul in one year, two winning two, four winning four, and so on, until the whole world could know Jesus in less than the time of one generation. I sense that we are living in that one generation. Now, I've often visioned and I've seen this Radiance Tape ministry as more than just a library, but as a way of ministering to others and letting them be a part of what's going on, of this great move of God happening in all the world now. How, through this message now, can we let others know that they are a part of a ministry commissioned to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. Well, that's a question that requires a careful answer, Gary, because many of the people who perhaps uh, are hearing this message are part of some existing fellowship who may or may not see or may not place the same emphasis that we place um, on the work of God. Let me further explain. I see the command of Jesus as twofold. One, the message of the Bible is that we are to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Another way of putting that is that through the relationship that we have to God through Christ, that we're ultimately to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now that is the to be the aim of our lives to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and to worship God in spirit and truth. In other words, let God work in us so fully and completely that he is able to accomplish in us that vital transformation. But an equal part of what God has called us to do is to this task of world evangelization. Now, we must not do the one or the other. Both must take place at the same time. And in actuality, our spirits must be set to the fulfillment of these two things. Now, what has happened in the church that has produced this great stagnation that goes on in most churches is simply that people have forgotten one or both of these purposes of God, and other aims have been substituted in their place. They have substituted social action as the chief aim of the church, social action uh, in a right perspective is a valid aim, but it is not the chief action of the church. It's one of the very minor things. For instance, in bringing about a society where there are no poor people. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. It's a result of the way they think. We would have to change their thinking before we would eliminate the poor from our society, not simply uh, arrange the political system somewhat differently. But these very minor aims become the chief aims of the church. And the result is that the work of God is not done. Now, Gary, you were saying, based on my illustration last night, 
that if each one were to win one, is in essence what I said, that over a period of 32, 33 years, the whole world would have been reached for Christ. And yet, to show you how the church has completely disregarded what the Lord told them to do, 1,800 years has passed since we have received that command and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and yet over half of the earth's population remains unevangelized, and a thousand large tribal groups of people have not even heard of the name of Jesus one time, not even one time. We simply have not done what God told us to do. Another perversion of the gospel is to take the gospel and try and make it a vehicle of personal earthly happiness and prosperity. In other words, now that I am a Christian, I will, by the help of God, get all of the things that I've ever wanted. And this, to me, is the ultimate in the selfish trip. The very purpose of conversion is to take us out of that self-seeking mode, and here we find ourselves by the deception of the devil, converted to Christ, and then on a real, really intense self-seeking trip. Now, Gary is asking to me here, and I know that I'm speaking to many that are going to be listening to my voice in the tape ministry, the outreach of the church. We have tried to infuse everybody in this group, everyone that hears my voice, this ministry, that there must be a radical departure from this personal self-seeking, this personal desire to attain to worldly happiness upon this earth, which really concerns itself with the things that we have surrounding us so our creature comforts are satisfied, and there must be a turning, a wholehearted surrender, dedication of our minds, our spirits, our hearts, our energies, our finances, our life devotion to these two great purposes, the total surrender of ourselves to God, that he might work in us the work of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ, and right along with it, the task which he has given to the church of worldwide evangelization. Now, our minds must be taught to think in these two channels. That becomes primary in our thinking, so that it consumes our thoughts from the time we arise in the daytime till we go to bed at night. Other things have to take their proper place, but the minute that we have some free time, immediately our thinking is, how, Lord, can I be used in this way? What can I do? How much can I give? Where can I go? How can I become a cooperating part of this great purpose of yours? And when our minds are utterly consumed with it, it becomes such a, a burning desire within us that God can easily lead us to the place that he wants us to go where this will begin taking place. And until this desire comes in the heart of the church people, then this great, terrible thing will continue of the world not being evangelized. Now, God is raising up a group of people, small in number to be sure right now, but ever more surrendering themselves to this concept. And the results are becoming staggering already. People are preparing to go overseas to foreign lands. They're preparing to go every place in this United States of ours, carrying the gospel. They're willing to sleep on the ground. They're willing to sleep in one-room shacks if need be. They're willing to be cold or hungry. They're willing to be persecuted or run from place to place. If only they ask one thing in exchange, that they have the opportunity to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and publish this gospel in all the earth for a witness. Now, that burning desire must come into the heart of every one of God's people that it can come into. And then this world, I believe, in this generation will be evangelized. As the church grows and as this 
sweep of the Spirit brings in more and more people, the church itself is coming into being much more than we've ever seen it. Amen. Could you comment more on how the offices of the church are coming now at, the, at this present time into fulfillment? Well, here again, we're seeing something being redefined, Gary. The offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, true eldership, true deaconship, are beginning to manifest themselves with people who have these offices bestowed upon them by God and recognized by man. They have a true divine insight as to the nature and the purpose of these offices. They don't fully understand it yet because it's being redefined by the Holy Spirit. But what it is producing in the church where these offices are allowed to operate is a true unity in the spirit that causes the body to be in one mind and one accord about these two great purposes that I am speaking of. Now, the reason I say the offices today are receiving a divine insight into their purpose and nature, always the church in the past, for the most part, Whenever people would become converted to the Lord, their primary aim was to get them integrated into the local assembly, not on a training basis, but on a permanent basis, that they would simply come and become a lifelong member of that community, that they would get a steady, stable job, that they would stay for the rest of their natural lives, be a lifelong member of that community and that church. Now, as God is giving divine insight into the, the minds of the officers of the church that God is raising up now, he is showing them that that principle is utterly wrong, that there is to be this constant emphasis so strong in the hearts of the people that they're constantly asking themselves, Lord, what would you have me to do? In other words, it is not, well, I'm saved and now I belong to a church. I mean, that that's like that's the end. Now, now I belong to a church. So, here I am, and therefore I will continue my normal life, uh, whereas before I used to spend it on foolish things. Now I will spend it on this and that and the other thing and uh, add to that some church expenditures. Now the concept is coming into the, the offices of the church to constantly urge people to ask God, Lord, what will you have me to do? And almost without exception, these people began to have a concept, a vision, that the only thing that is important is to do God's will. And to do God's will is this conforming to Christ, one, and worldwide evangelization. And they, they are no longer content to merely give some money in a missionary offering. They realize what God wants is them. And the next thing, they are training themselves, divine application to the Scriptures, the urging of the Spirit. They're learning the Word. They're learning the witness. They're being raised up with responsibility. They're taking heavy loads upon themselves. A vision is coming into their hearts of what they should begin to do, and they're beginning to bring that to pass. Even as I'm talking here to you, Gary, some time ago you came to us. Now, you had uh, ambitions of attaining certain things in the world, and certainly you were capable of doing those. You had the education, the background, the mentality, everything that you needed. And yet when you came to Christ, a whole different concept came into your heart. Not merely to attend church and continue with your career, but your career became the work of God. 
And therefore, a vision was born in your heart to take this tape ministry and spread it all over the world. And that's exactly what's taking place. Now, someone, I'm sure, would say, what a waste, because you could have had a brilliant career. This is a brilliant career. See, spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, that's how the church must come to think. Now, then the officers of the church, those who are raised up by God to oversee the work of God, must understand when these people are raised up and ready and responsible, they're now strong people. Here again, a mistake has been made in time past. When we get a strong person, we try to hold him in the local church because we say, now, there we have strength in the church and we must hold all these strong people. The principle that God is showing us is we must take these strong people and send them out with the gospel. We must move them to other places to begin other works of the same nature because now they're strong enough to begin working with a body of people and raising them up in the same way that these people have been raised up. Now, this produces two things. Number one, it permits this person who's become strong to go and duplicate the work. This is the one now teaching the one. So here in another city, another location in the same city, another nation, another place, another whole body is being raised up of strong babes coming into the faith and being raised up and prepared to go out to their own work. Secondly, it permits the young ones that are being won to Jesus Christ to be raised up in the local assembly. There's no rigid hierarchy over them which keeps them from being raised up. In most churches, you already have a deacon board and that's relatively unchanged and a trustee board and that's relatively unchanged. And the Sunday school teachers, they're pretty stable and the, the ones who do things are pretty stable. So all the new ones coming in merely sit there and do not participate in the work of God and thus they stagnate and the whole work of God grinds to a halt. But the minute you keep urging those ones that are strong, all right, brother and sister, now you are strong, go here and do the work of God. And they go and do it. The next thing, there are glowing reports coming back to the church of how God is blessing in this new work. Another one goes out, God's blessing in that work. Another one goes out, God's blessing in that work. All of the church is encouraged to be raised up and do the work of God. They're eagerly looking toward the time that they can go out in the work of God. The whole church is oriented toward evangelism, which means the community is being evangelized, and the church becomes a living, vital place. Now, reverse that order as the church has done for the last 1,800 years, and try to hold the people in the church. And the whole work of evangelism stagnates. First, on the worldwide level, we see no reason to do that because we have to evangelize in the community. And the people become in turn thinking about their own problems, and they stop community evangelism, and the church then stagnates and substitutes something less, like the building of beautiful structures or social action policies or something other than what God told them to do, which was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jim, that relates really well to those who are already in positions in the church who can influence the course of their own church. What about the type of person who has just joined the church? Now, I myself can't imagine of anything more exciting than being a, being a Christian in the 20th century. Amen. Uh, this tape ministry you mentioned before, that's part of that. It's exciting being a Christian be. now. And yet I can't imagine anything more boring than just going to church on Sunday, and that's it. What does the young Christian do who hasn't found that type of fellowship where he can grow, where he can look toward the vision of someday being sent out? What, what does he do? Now, that's a much more difficult question at the present time. There are a number of things, though, that he can do. Number one, by listening to these tapes, 
if they have stirred his spirit. And I know uh, they certainly would be used by the Lord to do that because his word will not return into him void, but will accomplish that whereunto it was sent. And this is the purpose for which it's sent. Then that person needs to go before God and say, Lord, I am taking this as the primary aim of my life. It will no longer be to advance my career. I'll do good work for my employer, or I'll, I'll watch over my business properly because that's a stewardship, but that will not be the primary aim of my life. The aim of my life, and if the business and the job further that, then well and good, but they are merely tools to carry out this primary aim of me being, first of all, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and secondly, I will devote myself to the task of world wide outreach. Now, that must be your vision, to see the whole world being evangelized in this generation. Now, when the person devotes himself to that purpose in the church, he, being only one person, may think he does not have much influence when he thinks of the officials of the church and the great structure of the church. But the truth is, if he begins to minister this concept, he may have far greater influence than he thinks because that church may be closer to being ready than he knows. And he simply said, well, what can I do? But one person can be a tremendous catalyst in a church to move it toward this vision of worldwide outreach. Now, assuming, however, that the churches he's in will not receive that message. Maybe they're, they're too organizationally bound or they simply can't receive it for whatever the reason may be. There is still much that he can do. Number one, he might seek the Lord and ask himself if it is not God's will for him to seek and find a vital fellowship somewhere that is dedicated to this message of worldwide evangelization. And simply began to work with them. He does not even have to leave his present church. There are fellowships, there are groups that he might be able to find who certainly would be devoted to this. Certainly another thing that he can do is to begin witnessing himself in his local community. If he is not able to get the church to hear his message, certainly if he begins bringing people into the church as a result of his personal witnessing, something has happened in his life, he's stirred up, he may begin timidly at first. But he begins witnessing for Jesus. The next thing, people are going to be brought to Christ, and he is bringing them into the fellowship. That is enough to see new babes being born in the church, coming into the fellowship, to maybe stir the entire church back to life again. But if that is not possible, there are still things that he can do. Number one, he can support, for instance, a fellowship like this. We are dedicated to this process of worldwide evangelization. We have a brother in Europe right now laying down, spying out the land for us, as it were, preparing to send people over there to walk along those hippie drug trails and to win people for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have people now that are feeling, young men and young women, every one of them who could have had a good career, a good position in this world because they're intelligent and personable, wholly dedicated to this purpose. He could help with his support, with his prayers, to pave the way for them to go into a foreign land. This tape ministry could be greatly expanded. The financial aspect is one of the things that always holds you up a little bit. It won't hold us up long because our faith is an active working thing is reaching out. And yet, this tape ministry could be supported in a much greater way. Let the man lay aside, let the woman lay aside a much greater portion of their budget to provide for more tapes, to provide for the equipment we need to get this message to ever broader aspect of people. 
very shortly, we're going to need these tapes sent to Europe. We're going to need these tapes translated into foreign languages. We're going to need these tapes. We have an outlet that may be opening up in Mexico. There is a tremendous Spanish-speaking community in New York. We have a ministry beginning there, and we're right in the middle of this Spanish-speaking community. There's a gigantic Spanish-speaking community in Los Angeles. They do not even speak the English language for the most part. Tapes need to be translated and sent there. We have people in our ministry who are capable translators. We have people who can speak German, people now who can speak French, people who can speak Spanish, and these tapes need to be translated. Let a man give himself over to the support of a work like that, at least in that indirect way. He is having a, a part in that worldwide evangelization. Now, the minute that he does this, he still must ask himself, Lord, what more can I do? And I say this to every man that hears this message, if he will continually seek God and say, Lord, what more yet can I do? That God will ultimately lead him step by step into that vital relationship with others who have that same burning, consuming passion, and pretty soon he'll find himself in the very thick of this worldwide outreach. Yes, there is much that he can do, but it all depends on asking that one question, Lord, First of all, I am dedicated to this business of being conformed to Jesus Christ. Take my life and do the work that the Holy Spirit intends to do. I'm utterly yielded to you. Secondly, I am dedicated, Lord, to the task of worldwide outreach. Show me what I can do. Lord, what can I do? And God will surely show you what to do. Amen. It's our hope that you listening now will see that vision. Amen. I'm Gary Todorov. This is the Radiance Tape Ministry. It's a ministry. And I've been sharing with Jim Durkin about spiritual warfare, the conclusion of this series. And yet I hope the beginning for many of you of a new vision and a new step in faith. Thank you, Lord. The Bible exhorts us to pray for our brothers and sisters, the saints everywhere. Jim, would you close this message in prayer for those who by faith we see and are with right now. Amen. Now, blessed Father, you know the words that we've spoken, Lord. They've been spoken for one reason, that we desire that everyone who hears these words will recognize them as your words recognize them as your message to this generation. And Lord, they'll take those words and let them become a consuming fire in their spirits and their bones until they can no longer forbear or begin to do that thing which you have called the church to do from the time that Jesus established it upon the earth. Lord, let us be consumed with the vision like the fire that burned ever before Moses, and yet it never consumed the bush, but it was always burning. Lord, let us be consumed in that way. Always the heat and the fire and the light burning out of us. And yet, Lord, we're always refreshed and renewed in our inner man. Now, Father, let us never be concerned with the difficulties of our task or the seeming impossibilities of it, or even take for a moment too much thought about such things as language barriers and political barriers and borders and how will we do it. Let us truly grasp a great spiritual principle 
that if we see the same vision that you see and we commit ourselves to it, Lord, you will bring it to pass. You will show us what to do. And all we have to do is take the first step. See the whole vision and take one step. And that's all we have to do. And you'll show us the next step. Father, I pray that everyone that hears my voice here and hears this prayer will see the whole vision, commit themselves to it, Lord, and take the first step. And then ask themselves again, now what, Lord? And then take just the second step. And then say, Lord, once again I cry to you and say, now what, Lord? And take a third step. And in so doing, Lord, this vision will be fulfilled in this generation. Oh, God, hear and regard these words and bring it to pass. Now we pray these things, Father. Commit them into your hands. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Now let's read on here. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Now you remember I said earlier that Jesus was the head of all principalities and powers? Now look at the 15th verse. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now let me read this out of Phillips. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. And then having drawn the sting of all the powers ranged against us, he exposed them, shattered, empty, defeated in his final glorious triumphant act. Hallelujah. Now, what it simply means is that when God got through with raising Jesus from the dead, I tell you something, when Jesus came down off that cross, laid in that tomb, his spirit was already taken down into the lower parts of the earth where he was to deal with that situation down there. No point in going into it now. But after three days and three nights, Satan was doing whatever he was doing, jumping around with glee, figured he really had him now because here he was down there and this and that and the other thing. Then after three days and three nights, the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, you remember the New Testament Jesus revealed that when the rich man died, and the Bible says in hell, he lifted up his eyes and he looked across the way and he saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he cried out to Abraham and he said, Father Abraham, son Lazarus, I pray over here that he may dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in his flame. And Abraham said, Son, in your days upon the earth, you had your good things and Lazarus is evil, but now he has his good things and you, you're evil. But beside all this, there is a great gulf fixed between you and I. So the day which would come over from us, you cannot, neither can you come over to us. A great gulf fixed. You see, hell or Hades was really in two parts. Over here were the righteous, and over here were the wicked dead. Now, no one went to heaven before Jesus came into this earth. He was to be the firstborn from among the dead. He was the first to lead the train or the procession into heaven. So all of the righteous that died in God or in Abraham, they were the followers of Abraham, they went to what was called Abraham's bosom and they waited patiently for the coming of the Lord. And for three days and three nights, Jesus was doing what had to be done down there, atoning for the actions that we had committed, bearing our sins, clearing that situation up. 
At the end of that time, the Bible tells us that this side where the righteous were held was with bars of brass and gates of iron. The Bible says, but he has broken asunder the gates of iron and the bars of brass. At the end of that three days, he ripped that door literally off his hinges. I don't know what it was like. I'm giving you what the book of Psalms says. He literally ripped that door off of his hinges, and he led a triumphant procession right out of the depths of Hades up to the earth again, where the Bible says on the third day he raised from the dead. And it says also, if you read it in the Gospels, it said the graves of many that slept were open, and they came out of the graves and walked through the cities, and they were recognized by many. Brother, the things that happened on the day of his resurrection were absolutely fantastic. And those graves were open. They came walking right through the city again. And people, oh, isn't that, what, 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 what? Yeah, they saw that. That actually happened. The resurrection. Now, I want you to notice the next part because you've got to understand the scripture. For the Bible says, Jesus drew the sting from Satan, pulled it out of all the powers that were ranged against us, and left them broken, shattered, and defeated. Now, can you see Satan realizing what has been done? knowing that his judgment is complete, that God testifying by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and those gates of brass being broken in sunder, those bars of iron being ripped out of their hinges, and that triumphal procession coming out of Hades where he always held the people, for he had the power of death. The Bible tells us this, that Satan had the power of death. Now it had been ripped away from him, and here these people came back to life again and literally were resurrected, and now were being led by Jesus back to heaven. He hurled all of his forces at this thing to hold it down. I tell you something, if you could have seen what happened in heaven at that moment, as Jesus just simply began to rise up toward the Father with this great train of godly men and women who had waited down through the ages for him to come, and they began to rise up as Satan hurling everything at him he had, and just simply Christ, boom, boom, boom. And all the angels hurling these powers back until Satan was broken. Smashed. Defeated. Prostrated in every way. Everything stripped from him. Jesus just triumphing over him and it went directly up to the Father. Now I'm telling you something. Hear it. The only power the devil has against you today is to make you believe he has power to resist you. No power whatever. Jesus said, I give you my name. Now, he doesn't mean use it like a formula. The name of Jesus, the name it not like that. He said, I give you my name. When I went up to my father, I batted him aside and stripped him of everything. And I tell you, my children, he is nothing. Now, how do you see him? Oh, the devil. Or do you see him like Jesus says he is? He said, I beheld him as lightning fall from heaven. Plunk. Hallelujah. This universe is absolutely in the control of the hands of Almighty God. There is not one thing Satan can do unless God permits it. And no matter what the devil does, it will ultimately bring about the perfect will of God. 
There is nothing he can do except bring about God's will. That's all he can do. He doesn't want to. He strives to thwart God's will. He wants to stop God from working. And there's not a thing he can do. Now on the other side, here you are. And to you, you know that he's an adversary. You know that he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know he's a slanderer. Now you know what to do so that the will of God may be worked out in your life. You know that you must not listen to him. And you know that you must know the truth about it. That he has no power except to lie to you and get you to believe the lie. Now how do you keep the victory over him? By the confession of your mouth and the belief of your heart and the action of your being. I must, and we bring you back to this again because it is basic to everything you will ever do for God. It is necessary for me always to believe something in my heart. I will either believe what I've learned in the world or I will believe what the Word of God tells me is true. Now all around me, the world testifies to me that the Word of God is not true. I can't see God. I can't normally hear God, can't by my senses discern God, but the Bible tells me God exists. And deep in my spirit, I know it to be so. And if anyone comes to me, now the slanderer comes and says, how do you know that God exists? Well, yeah, how do I know that? Brother, the Bible says be able to give to every man a reason for the hope that lies within you. You must know that. Look into the innermost parts of your being and see what the Spirit's testimony is to you. Does God exist? Then when the Satan comes to you and said, Does God exist? Say, Yes, He exists. Know the Word of God. Yes, He exists. And He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Say, Jesus knew how to answer the devil. He knew how to handle a situation. Oh, if you be the Son of God, Jesus didn't even answer his question. Ridiculous to even waste any time with it. He simply gave him the scripture and went on his way. You must know the word of God if you want victory over Satan in your lifetime. You must know the word of God if you want victory over Satan. Alright, now here. You have, the Bible says, power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus Christ is Lord. At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and nothing shall by any means hurt you because you have power over all the power of the enemy. Now, here you are as a Christian ready to do battle. You realize that this city of Eureka is ruled over by an evil prince. The time will come when we'll have to go to San Francisco. That city is ruled over by a man. He must be a weird evil prince. I'll tell you that for sure. That is a weird, weird city if there ever was one. Back in New York, we have a little ministry back there. We didn't start it. God started it. But eldership is extending across 3,000 miles. Had to tell those people that today. Didn't understand it. They said, we need an elder. We need one right here. I never did understand that before until God revealed the situation to me. Always thought an elder had to be right there, right at the moment. Just had to be that way. If it didn't, the whole work would collapse. There would be times when that would be true if we could do it. And we wouldn't send an elder there. We'd say, oh no, we can't send any of our elders because we need all of our elders here. God tells us, send one. Brother, you better send one out there. 
Here's a little group of only six people now in New York. And all around them is a terrible ghetto neighborhood. People come up to the front of their doors with clubs and threaten to beat them to death. There have been knife fights in the house. Three days ago or four days ago, a man was murdered just a few doors down the street. Terrible conditions exist in that ghetto neighborhood. But they feel that God put them there. And then the pressure of the enemy came in upon them, and they didn't know how to handle it, and they didn't know what to do when they were getting weak, because they didn't know the truth of God's Word. Then our brother Gregor, who does know the truth of God's Word, time to take his vacation. We said, Gregor, can you start a few days early and go by there and minister in the spirit to those people? They are in need of a strong elder to speak to them. Gregor said, I'll do it. Went on home, came down there, and just before he got there, they had sat down in their discouragement and voted to disband the whole work. And one was going to go hitchhiking around the country, and two were going to take off here, and one over there, and the other this and that, and the other. Let the house go and let the ministry go. And our brother Gregor, I'm sure, knowing the principles of spiritual warfare, looked at that great city, that evil prince that ruled over it, and said, Back off in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back off! And then he sat down with those six people, and he began to give them the Word of God. Hallelujah. They called me yesterday. This girl, Anita, who's kind of watching over the place along with some others, and talked to him the day before that also. And I tell you, the whole thing had changed. They said, we were ready to leave here just yesterday, but Brother Gregor came, and he gave us the Word of God, and we're together and committed like we never were before. Hallelujah. Now, don't you know the devil is up there saying, ah! Amen. Don't you know the devil would have killed Gregor and Linda if he could have done it? He couldn't do it. Hallelujah. Gregor walked right in the middle of that great wicked city with that great evil prince up there. said, stand back. I have a message to deliver from the Lord to these people. Hallelujah. They just backed up. Hallelujah. Spoke to Anita this morning, and I said, I want you to know, Anita, that you have eldership in that place. Well, she said, there's no elder here. And I told her, I said, Anita, eldership can extend across 10,000 miles if you believe it. We are your elders here. And in prayer, we're holding up that work, and it will not fall. There's not a devil in hell that can make that work fall as long as they hold that vision and we hold that vision. And brother, sister, I tell you, Tim and Ann Nabokowski are on their way back there and some folks from Mendocino just happens uh, that they're going back there on their honeymoon or just happens uh, that a mother sent out uh, a week ago or two weeks ago money and says, will you come back to New York and visit me? Haven't heard from their mother in a whole long, long, long time. He said, the mother said, come back here and visit me. And the people said, we want to go to that ministry in New York and strengthen their hands back there. Hallelujah. God is in that. Now the evangelistic team is getting ready to roll on the 4th or the 5th or the 6th. 15 of them going back there. Hallelujah. Brother, I tell you something. Satan is getting ready to get shook up in New York. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, no. No, no, brother. We're talking about victory. The devil is nothing to me. He's been defeated, broken, smashed. He's through. We have the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit in our lives. And he has no power over us at all. 
Now get that vision and get that victory. And don't go around and oh, the devil does this to me and the devil does that to me and the devil does... The devil does nothing. He has no power over you at all. Hallelujah.